It's the TEH Podcast, episode 111. That's 111. I'm Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. I hear things were kind of smoky down there. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we've had a lot of wildfires here in Colorado. I know in the national news, California has overshadowed us, but it's been pretty bad here as well with highway closures and and smoke and ash in the Denver metro area, even though the fires are up in the mountains. That's what um, surprised me here. Same thing is happening here in the Seattle area. We have uh, the, the eastern part of Washington state has several large wildfires going on right now. And it was weird. Yesterday, in the space of about an hour, um, all the smoke just sort of arrived. Um, and it was, you know, it was really oppressive. I mean, it was one of those things where you step outside and you can really smell the smoke. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things where you're wondering, okay, is the neighbor burning something he's not supposed to be burning or, or is yeah. there a fire nearby? But no, it's like a you know, couple hundred miles away. Yep. And it just, you know, made its way over the mountains, uh, which always kind of weirds me out and, uh, and showed up down here. So yeah, it's been, uh, it's been smoky and warm. Mm, smoking well cold here now we've got rain and snow now snow? as winter's arrived early and <laughs> hopefully the the advantage of that will be that um it'll help the firefighters uh, up there in the mountains right um, we'll have to see uh yeah that's that's kind of bizarre so what else is going on besides weather well uh let's see on let's see some follow-up notes to uh, things we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. Um, see, I've got my apps updated. I, I don't know if I've mentioned that before. The apps now have that little like, you know, copying to the clipboard thing is now yes. gone. Yes, I, I know we talked about that whole scenario. I don't remember where we left it and where yeah. you were on, on getting your apps updated. Yeah, there are, they, they have all been updated. So it's that's like the good. top eight apps you chose to do yeah. and the rest you were gonna ignore. Yeah, exactly. And I continue with uh, trying to port my top app to mm-hmm. using Swift. So that's kind of fun. It's fun to be coding again. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, how about, how about you? I think I've told you I've, le- I've been slowly learning Python um, yeah. just by doing random things with it. That's always, it's always kind of fun. I like, I like, you know, like you, like you said, just sort of coding again, dipping your hands in random things. I'm not writing games or anything quite nearly as, um, um, as exhaustive, but uh, it's still fun to do. Yep. Um, <clears throat> let's see, what else has been going on here? Uh, so I have been, I think we've talked a couple of times about the networking technologies that we are using in our homes. Mm-hmm. Um, you recently replaced, I think, whatever it was you had with um, um, a solution that you're very happy with. Remind me again what the hardware was that you've got now. I got the uh, Google uh, Wi-Fi, uh, home Wi-Fi or whatever it's called. Okay. Is it Nest? I, used to, uh, I guess it's Nest is what they call it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we, uh, I've been, so I've been in this house for over 20 years and, you know, technology continues to evolve. And I think I've had like about three or four iterations of <laughs> how do I get internet from the basement to my bedroom kind of solutions. Uh, the, the current solution that I've got in place actually uses uh, Samsung mesh routers, mesh network. Mm -hmm. And I'm 
underwhelmed. I'll just say underwhelmed. We have some connectivity drops every once in a while. It's just not what I was hoping for in a mesh network. So I spent some time. It came back to mind because I was I was lurking, poking around in a Facebook group of all things of Microsoft old timers, basically a bunch of folks such as myself who either um, are currently at the company and have been there for a long time or were at the company a long time ago, uh, which I think I more closely now follow, fall into the second or second category because I've now been away from Microsoft for longer than I was actually employed by Microsoft. The uh, and the topic of you know what do you do for for networking in your home came up and there were a couple of clear winners which surprised me uh, in in a in an audience that has uh, so many diverse opinions about so many different things uh, I was surprised at how frequently uh, two names kept came up uh, one of them was Eero. Mm. Uh, which, if I'm not mistaken, uh, is the solution that Kay is now using. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. And I think he's been pretty happy with it. And what I've, you know, again, what I've seen in this group was that, you know, the people that were using it were also very happy with it. Good coverage, easy to set up, yada, yada. One of the other names that came up, though, was Unify or Ubiquity. And they are more targeted at what I'll call a commercial solution. Uh, if you go to, I think it's ui.com, which that domain all by itself, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. that's, that's worth a bucket right there. The company yeah. could go under and sell that domain for a bunch of money. Uh, if you go to their site, I believe one of their demonstration or one of their example layouts is a stadium. Right, so they're building the kind of Wi-Fi and networking infrastructure that's meant to be deployed at an incredibly large scale. Now, granted, I don't live in a stadium, but my house is larger than average. I do have you know some fairly long runs where just putting a Wi-Fi access point in the middle of a house just doesn't cut it. Right, I'm I'm looking at at least a couple, if not three or four, um, to get the kind of coverage that I'm really looking for. You know, there's the coverage you need, and then there's the coverage you want. I can get the coverage I need probably with a couple of access points, but if I get what I really want, like being able to comfortably use it on the back patio or comfortably use it from within the travel trailer that's parked out by the back, you know, by the back garage, mm-hmm. um, those kinds of things require a little bit better coverage. Anyway. So I decided to tentatively dip my toe in the Unify water, and I picked up one of their uh, access points and installed it actually just a couple of days ago. And the access point, you know, it's an access point. It's nice. Uh, it, it's unique in that it requires uh, power over Ethernet. Uh, they, they actually don't have a separate power plug for it. Uh, what they do give you is a... Uh, um, a little, you know, wall wart type thing that provides power over Ethernet if you want to use that. Uh, but it's actually designed to be plugged into one of their switches that provides PoE natively. So I've got that sitting in the basement in the center of my house, and the coverage is okay. I'm, I'm pretty pleased with it. Uh, what has blown me away is the management software. Uh, the management software that I actually run on my Windows 10 machine is now letting me control the network to a level that um, 
I, in the past, I'd only really wanted to, you know, I'd only really dreamed of, if you will, to, to use that cliche. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's giving me uh, visibility on each of the machines. It's letting me, you know, as they connect, I make sure that they are identified properly. I get to select my own icon that shows, actually, it's an image of what the device is. Uh, so I can tell exactly which device is connected to what access point, how much data it's using, you know, all the, all the wonderful stuff that you might want. I can easily set up a guest network, which I've done. As it turns out, it seems that I can actually connect, create additional networks if I want to. Uh, so I'm seriously thinking of having a, uh, a wireless network dedicated to my Internet of Things devices so that they are isolated from everything and not just, you know, lumped onto a guest network, which is probably what a lot of people end up doing. Uh, so the bottom line is that I'm very impressed so far, and I have uh, dipped my toe in a little further. And literally an hour before we started recording, uh, Amazon dropped off the next two pieces of equipment that I will be uh, uh, implementing after we're done. It's one of those things where, you know, let's not make fundamental network changes before you're supposed to have a streaming audio uh, conference call. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what it will boil down to is that I've basically uh, purchased two devices. One is their router, which they just call it a security gateway. And it's, it's like the simplest thing you can think of. It's got logically two connections, one for the WAN and one for the LAN. So everything runs through this little box and it is their router and their security gateway and, and basically the, um, the real workhorse behind some of the other things that you can do with their system once it's set up. And then I did in fact get myself one of their switches so I can actually do um, power over ethernet to the devices that I might distribute in some of the other places in my home. The wireless uh, networking, uh, you know, the access points, they'll mesh automatically. Uh, they'll mesh better, obviously, if you're connected to a wire, so they get some faster throughput, but they will just do all the right things depending on how they happen to be connected and how they happen to be configured in, the, uh, in that. So the bottom line is that this is certainly not for everyone, right? This is... Mm. This is definitely a situation where you've got networking equipment that's a little bit pricier. Uh, this was the other thing. I, I've, tried, I've, I've shot myself in the foot too many times by trying to go cheap. And uh, this is a situation where you know, my business runs off of it, my home runs off of it. It just makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, so I am spending a few more dollars to get this deployed. But um, like I said, it's also not for everyone in the sense that, yeah, you know, you kind of sort of have to understand network topology and how you want things set up and be able to drive a configuration program that's designed for uh, IT professionals, not consumers. But, um, but like I said, I'm, I'm so far, knock on wood, uh, I'm thrilled. If the switch and the uh, security gateway work out for me, which I will probably know within 24 hours, then uh, I will also be pushing the button on uh, the additional wireless access points to be deployed in the far corners of my home, at which point I will then uh, decommission the Samsung mesh gateway or mesh network. Uh, completely and just make that part kind of sort of go away. The only thing that's weird, and I've never done this, I don't know if you've done this or not uh, at all or not, the modem I have is from my ISP. And it's one of those things where, yes, you will use the ISP's modem, but of course it's more than a modem. It actually is the router for my network. Right. So, so I'm going to be putting that into bridged mode. 
which basically turns off all the routing functionality and just acts as a, a connection between the two Ethernet ports. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's what I do. It that's is. That's what I've always done. Okay. Um, so you've always run your own uh, router. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Yeah, and it's weird. So I do have a static IP address. Right. Which dates back many, many years. I don't really need it now. Right. But years and years ago, I used to run a, you know, all these game sites and one of the games I had, it was like you could play chess checkers and all this stuff. And it had a special server for dealing with the uh, players communicating with each other, you know, chess moves back and forth and such. Um, And that basically was an actual box, like a PC that was running a special little piece of software that sat next to the router. And all it did was this. And so I had a static IP address. It, It was very little traffic as far as volume, sure. well, uh, as far as like the total number of bytes transferred, very little. A lot of connections back and forth, but it, you know, that's was fine. And I was amazed at how well like a home DSL connection, even one, you know, more than a decade ago, right. it's not the gigabit stuff we have now, it was <laughs> able to handle it just fine, but it did require a static IP address. So I got a static IP address. I've simply held on to it. Sure. Um, you know, every transition, a move to a new house, uh, you know, new routers, uh, changing of plans, all of that. I've just always opted to, yes, continue with paying the little bit extra, and it's just a little bit, for this block of five static IP addresses. So the thing is that, yeah, I've got the, the bridge mode set on that, the Wi-Fi turned off on it and everything. Right. And it just has one connection going out to now my Google Wi-Fi Nest. Previous to that, it was my Apple Airport Extreme. Mm-hmm. I, I, go ahead. That's what, that's what I'm expecting, right? It's, it's, it, yeah. Part of me feels bad because I've got this fairly oh, yeah. you know, reasonable piece of equipment that can do a lot of stuff. And I'm going to say, yeah, just don't do any of that stuff at all. Yeah, don't, yeah just give just, me the give step me out of the, the way and let me do my thing, right? Exactly, um, exactly. But, so. but it's also like, apparently it's like a three or four year old device that may or mm. may not be supported anymore by my ISP. Uh, the static IP address is an in, is, was an interesting comment. I don't have one of those. And I'm told, well, what my research seems to have uncovered, is that uh, putting this particular device into bridged mode, using a static IP, is something that the ISP doesn't support. In other words, mm. if you're doing if you're going bridged, you have to have dynamic, but which oh, you know just just works for me. I don't care about that. But um, I just thought it was interesting that they would place that weird restriction on it. And, yeah. yeah. So, but I'm I'm looking forward to it. Like I said, we'll we'll see next week how happy I am. <laughs> well, so I, I've actually had an interesting development in that whole process that I out, outlined earlier, on a much earlier episode. You know, I I talked about wanting to go to get a better. Um, router. Mm-hmm. So I went and I bought what I thought was top of the line, a Netgear Nighthawk router. Yes. Which that name keeps coming up a lot. I mean, it's, yeah. it's got a, it's got a, oh. apparently. Well, I, I hate it even more with a passion now. <laughs> um, so here's, so the situation was that I got this Nighthawk router. It's a big thing. It's 400 bucks. Um, I hooked it up and I basically in every test I could possibly think of, it was exactly the same as the airport extreme. A little worse because I wasn't able to use my printer for some reason. But, I mean, you know, the places where my airport extreme couldn't reach, this thing couldn't reach. The speeds I was getting, same problem, you know, the farthest reaches, the lower speeds, all that. Mm -hmm. So I was not happy with it. It was like, well, I mean, it is like 
uh, the same as the Airport Extreme, but I wanted I'm paying top dollar here. I wanted something better. Right. So that's when I went with the Google Nest, and I'm super happy with it, and all the problems are gone. Then I was stuck with a four hundred dollar, <laughs> you know, Wi-Fi router, and um, barely. I mean, it looks brand new. You know, I, I, mean, I took it out of the box, and I literally took it out of the box and put it on top of the box, right. plugged it in, and didn't touch <laughs> it. You know, so it, it's pretty much new. By the time all this settled down and I was sure that the Google Wi-Fi uh, thing was working fine, uh, I was just past the 90 days to return it. Mm-hmm. So, stuck with it. So, I let another month pass and then it nagged me sitting there. What am I going to do? Am I going to throw it away? Am I going to create e-waste with it? Am I going to recycle something? It's pretty much brand new. So, I reluctantly put it on eBay. <laughs> Okay. Just thinking, uh, just get it out of that. I don't even care what money I get for it. Matter of fact, I all the little how to sell all this. I just bypassed all that. I said auction, whatever the suggested price is on eBay, go, just do it. Okay. And I let it sit there, and I didn't even check it. I was just like, I just want it out of the house, um, and not to have to figure out what to do with it. And I was surprised to find out that it actually sold for about what I bought it for. Wow. And well, well, okay, a lot of bad news coming. <laughs> so, well, and I looked it up, and the reason is, is because it actually increased in price, like probably because of the pandemic. Oh, right. It actually costs more now. Sure. Like the actual listed price is more. Anyway, so I was like, oh, well, that's why it sold for that. All right, fine. So uh, there's a buyer in New York. I found a box, put in the box, shipped it off. Uh, and it's received. I get the money. I'm like, wow, I actually made, you know, with shipping, I lost a little bit of money, but, sure. you know, like, fine, great. Two weeks go by, and I get an email from the person that bought it saying they can't get it to work. It won't connect to their network. <sighs> now, you know how it goes <laughs> with these things, right? First of all, I know that if you're having trouble connecting your network, it's 90% probably a problem with the network connection, right? The, right. the router, right? Getting it to be the correct settings and all. And she said she even had a tech person come out and they said it must have been damaged in some way. This thing worked perfectly fine. Of course. And 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 like damaged in shipping, it's like, first of all, the way this thing is packed, I don't see it possible because right. the box it comes in, it's like one of those things when you unpack it, it's like, wow. I mean, this could, this could literally, I mean, the box would have to be ripped to, apart like an axe would have to have gone through it in order to damage it it's like solidly packed in there and then the my box on top of that you know and i'm like there's no way and if it was damaged in shipping it would be like yeah the box would arrive in pieces and it wouldn't even turn on <laughs> not like well it doesn't seem to be able to connect with my right, right. router you know yep. so i'm like uh oh, well you know yeah you've i don't know what to tell you it works go find a better tech guy to hook it up you know <laughs> but through slow correspondence over several days, because they were very slow to respond, they were like, I just want to return it. I just want to return it. I'm like, oh, you're kidding me. <sighs> so eventually I was like, and then I noticed that it's way past uh, eBay's return time, you know, and I selected the no returns option. So I said, it works. Trust me, just get the right person that knows what they're doing to hook it up. But they went to eBay and convinced whoever at eBay to allow a return. So now that I've got this thing on its way back to me. <laughs> are you having to pay for the return shipping? Yeah, I have to pay for the of return shipping. I, yeah. And I have to pay for the shipping out there. Right. The original shipping is my mind to swallow too. And then, of course, I have to give all the money back 
uh, for the, the cost of it and everything like that. So, so yeah, so I'm going to be out like 40, 50 bucks for all that shipping back and forth. Plus it's now a month or so later. Um, I haven't gotten it back yet. I'm expecting it back any day now. And then I'm going to be stuck with it again. And now of course I'm very shy about, uh, selling stuff on uh, eBay. I was you know, reluctant in the first place. I once sold an old camera on eBay too that worked perfectly well and was known for its durability and was simply told that it arrived broken. And I you know, was pretty sure I got scammed there. Right. Um, and then this thing, right, which I'm pretty sure is just a matter of somebody not knowing how to use something like the Netgear Nighthawk. <laughs> Actually, there's, a, there's another scenario that's worse. Yeah. That they broke back. it? No, it ain't coming back. Well, that's fine. If I, because if no, it doesn't come back, yeah. I, then I, I never, I, I have, eBay is waiting for me to confirm that I've got it and return the money. If I ah, say okay. I never got it, okay. then I don't know what happens. Okay. But, um, so yeah, so now I'm going to be stuck with this thing. I'm not going to want to sell it on eBay again. Right. Go through this right. whole thing again. I don't know what to do with it. I'm out <laughs> money and I've, you know, so Yeah. <sighs> So now oh, I hate man. it even more. Yep. Uh, yep. Yeah, actually, that raises a really interesting question because I've got, uh, you know, assuming that what I've set out to do is successful, uh, at the end of it all, I will have this uh, Samsung mesh network. I'll have, what, three or four um, devices mm. that I'll need to decide what to do with. Uh, I don't know if, yeah. if, if I'm going to uh, keep them. I mean, what, I mean, there's, there's no use for them. They're going to take up, you know, they'll join all of the, uh, uh, decommissioned hardware that lives in my basement until it dies. Yeah. Um, which generally means I keep it for a few years. I get tired of it. Then it goes to electronics recycling. Uh, or, or I, like you said, selling it is a crapshoot because you don't know who you're selling it to, uh, and as we both know from doing technical support, um, this is not a case where you want to do technical support. No, no. And I refuse to, you know, jump in as a tech support person for this person there. Right. Uh, I don't want to, you know, get any more personal with them. You don't want to go down I'm that I'm still road, half yeah. convinced that they're scamming me. But yeah. um, I did want to, you know, it's like. Uh, so I I may try to do maybe not Craigslist but maybe next door. I mean just see if somebody in the neighborhood wants to buy it for two hundred bucks or something. Um, you know get much less for it. But yeah, yeah. And I have other stuff. I've got two older cameras that are perfectly good that you know I've simply upgraded to. You know video cameras that I've been thinking about. Like oh I need to I should put these up on eBay. You know and get like a hundred bucks for them or something and get them out out of here without having to take them to. Or, you know, electronics recycling. But now I'm like, oh, I don't even want to bother. <laughs> you know, I don't want, because this is like, so the whole idea is I want it to be stress-free, right? Right, right. I wanted it to be completely stress-free. Just go take it. And I don't, I think, you know, I think eBay assigned a price of starting price of like $176 for it. I was like, mm -hmm. fine, fine. 176 bucks. It's just, that's fine. Just make it go away. And, you know, so now it's like, <laughs> uh, I don't even, yeah, it's like, uh, so... Anyway. Yeah. So the other thing that comes to mind, and I don't know if you do this kind of stuff or not, but every once in a while I'm asked to help out somebody like a friend or a neighbor yeah. or whatever. Um, and it might be a case where, you know, what you need is a new router. <laughs> yeah, and really? I just happen to have one. 
um, that I know will solve your problem. I mean, I mean, obviously the the router is going to solve somebody's problem, right? It's not sure. necessarily yours, but it's it's going to work for somebody. Yeah, uh, and I could you just know, give maybe it away, yeah. maybe that would be the the approach to uh, mm. to deal with it. Interesting. Uh, we'll see. But anyway, so that's that's what I was was playing with over the last um, actually over the last three or four days, and uh, as it turns out. Um, Randy, our other occasional co-host, is although we demoted him to guest, didn't we? Yeah. Um, he uh, was also interested in the results of my little experiment because he's also playing around with the networking stuff out at his place, including um, the uh, uh, getting a better signal to uh, their yurt. I don't know if you've ever been out there, but they have a, a yurt no, a, little, a little distance from the house, so it's a little bit just really technically outside of Wi-Fi range. And they'd really like to come up with a solution for that. And I think this, um, the line of products here for Unify might actually have something for them. So we'll see lots of people interested in, in how this turns out, not the least of which is me. Cool. So let's see what else is going on. Well, you know, there's been a kind of big story in the Apple world. Um, but, I mean, it's for most people, they don't care. But for people that follow Apple stuff, there's this Apple versus Epic Games situation. Actually, I think more than Apple have started to care. I mean, more than people that follow Apple has been, have been getting interested just because it's a it's an interesting precedent, no matter how it shakes out. Right. And, uh, you know, Google's involved, too, with the yep. Google Play Store, yep. although Apple always takes a lot of the attention away from that. Uh, basically, the story is this. So. When you're a developer like I am, and you put your app in the in the app store, say for the iPhone or iPad, uh, Apple takes thirty percent. So you sell an app for a dollar, you get seventy cents. Um, and this is also true for in-app purchases. You sell something in the app, and say it's a ten dollar upgrade, you get seven bucks, and Apple keeps three. And that's the deal. That's it's spelled out in uh, all the legal stuff. It's been there since the beginning. Uh, there's no mystery to it. That's how it works. Uh, not all developers are happy about that. Some think it should be less, a smaller number. <laughs> of course, why wouldn't why wouldn't you? You know, want more money as a developer. Um, Epic Games. You may not know the name Epic Games, but you probably know the name Fortnite. <laughs> it's it's their big game. So they have. A massive hit for the last several years, Fortnite. It's available pretty much every platform you could possibly imagine, Xbox, PlayStation, mobile devices, everything. Um, and it is more or less a free game, and you buy in-app stuff. So you can buy upgrades and things like that. So, you know, you can get it in the, well, you could have gotten it in the iOS app store for <laughs> iPhone or iPad. And then you buy like stuff in it. And then of course, just like with my games, you know, if I had an in-app purchase, like I do say for my jigsaw puzzle games, you can purchase stuff in-app there. Then Apple keeps 30% and Epic Games will get 70%. Well, they're not really happy with this. Um, and what they did about a month ago is they went and created an update for their game where basically what I thought it was and what I'd heard a lot was that, uh, you know, where you could buy stuff directly from them. Um, and a lot of companies do this where, you know, they, you put in a little thing saying, hey, buy directly from us, you know, and you click here and in the app and then it goes through our payment system. And that's a no-no. You know, Apple says in the rules, you can't do that. You want to sell something in the in the app that's, people get through our app store, then you've got to go through our, 
our payment system and we keep 30% of that. Now, um, they actually, according to the Wikipedia article, uh, didn't do that. They actually went and said, um, you could still buy stuff like that, but you could also buy stuff from us and it'll be, uh, there'll be different prices. So conveniently 30% less. Yeah, exactly. Um, so either way they violated Apple's rules and Apple said, no, you can't do that. You got to change it or we have to take the app out of the app store. And Epic said, we're not changing it. (laughs) And Apple removed it from the app store and then terminated their developer account for breaking the rules. So, um, now Epic didn't stumble on this, right? Nobody thinks that for a second, right? Uh, The lawsuit against Apple happened immediately. I was going to say it happened really, really quickly. It's almost (laughs) like they've been planning for it. They they definitely (laughs) were planning for this. And the, the, you know, CEO of Epic has been outspoken about the 30% and everything like that. And, you know, so it's not surprising. So, so yeah, basically they went and they said, we're suing 30% is too much. You've got a monopoly on apps for iPhones. So, um, with that monopoly, you could set your price to whatever you want, and that's what you've done, and it needs to be fair. And Apple uh, basically said, we're, we're not budging. Your developer account's gone. The app is gone. And actually, today they announced they're countersuing. Right. So, um, so it's a really interesting thing. And as a developer, of course, I have kind of an interesting perspective on the whole deal. Uh, when I started developing games, the only way to sell your games was to get them in stores, real stores, right? not virtual stores. And I got, uh, if I, I did actually get some into, into stores. And let me tell you, 30% would have been a dream. <laughs> <laughs> um, anybody that's worked in a retail store above the, the, the most superficial level knows that most retail takes about 50%. Yep. You know, if, you're, if you buy a book in Barnes & Noble, for 20 bucks. Hey, buy back in the day, if you bought a collectible doll from a certain doll shop, I happen oh, yeah. to know and love. Absolutely 100% markup. Yeah. So you, so your half of what you pay goes to the store. And yep. there's a lot of overhead there. There's the store, the real estate, the employees, the everything, you know. Yep. So 50% went to the store. And that was not the end of it because there was no way that I could just go up to, I couldn't walk to a software store when such things existed. And say, would you put, sell my game, <laughs> right? right? I would have to have not just a distributor, but also a publisher. So I would have had to develop the game. A publisher would have to publish it, have a deal with the distributor to distribute it. The distributor has to deal with the stores. And believe me, it's a tiny amount that can, would come to me. I actually sold a game. It was 20 bucks. And I believe I got about a dollar. Uh, per game. So <laughs> 95% wow. uh, was taken, not 30%, 95% was taken. Uh, same thing when I wrote books, right? It was about the same amount because I had a publisher and the publisher had deals with distributors that just, just distributed to the bookstores. And yeah, you, you bought a $20 book for me or you know even a $40 book that had my name on the front cover. It was about a buck or so that I got from that sale. So seeing like getting a store where I keep 70%, it's just amazing to me. Now, uh, could it be less? Because Epic Game points out that, well, they've done research and it could be as low as 8% and the store would still make a profit. Mm-hmm. Well, it's nice of them to, to 
you know, determine how much of a profit they think Apple should make off their store. But, um, <laughs> you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't fit with me. Now, I understand 30% does seem like a lot, um, especially when you have other platforms where you get more. Like, I, you know, you could sell a game on your website now. People could download it and you could keep everything but, you know, the, the fees for the credit card transaction and other right. little things. So you, right. about 5% is what you lose in that. Um, and then if you sell like an in-app purchase to the, for that game, it's the same thing. You, know, you get to keep 95%. But, uh, you know, the Apple thing is that, of course, they make developer tools. They have the store. They promote apps in the store. They've never promoted one of my games for not a second. But boy, have they promoted Fortnite. Yes. yes <laughs> so I don't really feel bad for Epic Games. It's like, oh, poor you. You got all of that completely free. You didn't pay a penny for it promotion. I've never gotten any of that. You know, Apple, give me some of that, and I promise I will never complain <laughs> about your 30%. Certainly, um, won't, certainly won't sue. Yeah, yeah I certainly won't sue you. Uh, so, I, you know, I understand that there's, like, you, you know, the general idea of taking 30% and feeling like I've done something, but I also feel like, well, you wouldn't be able to play my games on the iPhone if you didn't have an iPhone. So, and I didn't make the iPhone. Right. Apple did that. So, you know. My, my question for you, because this actually yeah. leaves me with, with a few interesting questions. One, so great. You can't get Fortnite um, in the App Store right now, in yeah. the Apple App Store. Uh, if you already had it, does it continue to play? Okay. So the interesting thing there is, yes and no. So if you already had it, it didn't go away. You still have it. However, mm -hmm. there's no way to get an update. Right. Fortnite updates a lot, and okay. they do these things called seasons. So they right. change everything in the game, like new stuff, new things you can get, the scenery changes, all of this. And it's a new season. In order to do that, they push out a new version of the game. They did this since, and uh, they you know, pretty much made it so that you really can't play now on the iPhone because you can't get the update. So if somebody has an iPhone, so they, I mean, basically, Fortnite is gone on iPhones. It, it's it, you still have it. I don't know to what, like, if you could play the old season or what the deal is, but it pretty much you just got an old version that may or may not work. Right. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So, is it even possible to sideload? No. Well, if Epic Games wanted to give you the source code <laughs> for their game. You could compile it on a Mac in Xcode and then load it onto a device. You know, but besides that, no. The short answer is no. Okay. The short answer okay. answers no. So now that they've lost their developer account, there's no. They've, they've essentially thrown away uh, their iPhone market. They're risking just yes. losing the iPhone market completely. Yes. Yes. Uh, given how many other platforms they're on, that's probably a risk that they were willing to take. I know for some businesses that's not um, that's not feasible. Yeah, it's but. interesting because on the one hand they're saying, "Yeah, we're willing to risk that." Like iPhone's not that important to us. On the other hand, according to some of the legal documents, they're saying it's 
dreadfully important to us. Yes, yes of course. <laughs> it, there has to be an injunction and Apple needs to be brought to justice because they're doing us irreparable harm. Right. So it's kind of weird like that. But lawsuits are like that, right? I mean, they, they will claim the worst case scenario, no matter what the reality of things are. Um, that's all the kind of stuff that gets hashed out and ironed out in court. Yeah, the interesting thing is the countersuit from Apple is kind of like, it almost looks like a uh, lawyer's dream because the countersuit basically looks at the contract that Epic agreed to right. and said, here's all the ways they violated that. Right, right. And um, so it, it's like, you, you know, courts, of course, look at that and say, you know, even if the even if some of the people personally may feel, oh, you know, boy, I, I, I wish Epic would win this. They look at it and say, boy, you did violate the contract. You agreed so, to everything you're complaining about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so Apple, you know, is kind of like, really looking forward to uh to doing you know i think their legal team is probably really happy with like oh this is going to be an easy countersuit now epic is uh, maybe trying to push it and maybe get this to go up to the federal court level and maybe have some sort of decision saying apple is a monopoly and they have to uh adhere to like you know maybe they maybe they don't need to change the 30 percent at all but maybe they need to allow for a way for apps to load you know outside the app store Right. You know, an, another way to get the app, which is kind of dangerous in some ways, because, you know, part of the whole security model for iPhones is that you, you know, can't just get an app from anywhere. You know, you right. Well, that's why I was around. asking about sideloading, because yeah. um, obviously, if I'm not mistaken, Google's done the same thing, right? They've, t they've kicked them out of the Google App Store as well, the Google yeah. Play Store. Same rules. Too. Sa yeah, essentially. Same, same similar contract, yada, yada. Yeah. But. Um, on an Android, uh, it's actually not that difficult to sideload right. side something. Not at all. Um, and yeah. so it makes me wonder, uh, you know, that argument in court could be, you know, well, you know, no, this isn't necessary. Look, here's this other really successful platform mm -hmm. where sideloading is is just part of the ecosystem. Uh, right. There's also, also been... Uh, there's also been a history of, like, for game development, you know, Nintendo and Sega and Sony... And and Microsoft with the Xbox too, mm -hmm. of you know you can't get into those onto those systems right except um, through without the manufacturer yep. permission or yep. and paying a lot you know I said oh you know it's hard to get into stores back back I'm talking about the early 90s you know if I wanted to make a game in the early 90s getting into stores was tough getting onto the Nintendo yeah that was way tougher because not only would I have had to have you know, publisher and then Nintendo would have been the distributor. And I believe the deal was then you had to pay for manufacturing. Right. So right. you had to pony up like to Nintendo, like here's a million dollars for you to make my cartridge so you can distribute it, right. take your cut and then give me, you know, what's left over. Hopefully and something more than a million dollars if you think after it's all said and done. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and that was found to be fine and legal as well as yeah. sony's playstation model and and what microsoft has now which is you know to get into microsoft live it's a significant investment in convincing microsoft to let you in so there. here's an alternative theory yeah. um i don't know that it's successful i don't even know that it's a good a valid strategy or a potentially successful strategy but what if epic wasn't really trying to break the system what if they weren't really trying to um, um, you know, change the way that Apple works. Mm -hmm. What if the whole point of this exercise was to make so much noise 
that Apple would be willing to negotiate that 30% down? It could be. I mean, it would be a weird, because they've been so public about it and their, their marketing and PR has been so involved with this. Mm -hmm. You would think that they would, they wouldn't do that. They would do all the legal stuff and not mind that they got attention anyway, because they would have gotten some attention, but then they could have held their heads a little higher if there was a negotiation and okay, we, we agreed on 20%, right. you know, a special deal, but because they've made such a big deal out of saying it's a monopoly and you shouldn't blah, blah, blah. You know, now if they agree to something, it looks like they've sold out. Um, yeah, now, but you know, that, that, that has not stopped businesses before. Sure. I and mean, maybe, maybe that's what they're after. They could be after changing the percentage for everybody, you know, um, right. And it's not a deal for them, but a deal for the whole industry. And in a way, it's already worked like that. And the, way, the reason I say that is if, if there was anybody at Apple thinking that they could push above 30% at some point, <laughs> you know, that's probably gone, that's right? right? So right. You, know, you have to consider those things. You know, and if there's anybody at Apple pushing for like maybe 20, go down to 25% or something, that's got a little more traction, right? Um, so maybe there's that. I think it would be hard for Apple to save face if they ever changed it now. In a way, it backfires, right? If nobody said anything and everything, everybody was quiet and Apple said, we've decided to change the model so it's like 20% now, it would have been five. It would have been like, yay, Apple. But now if they do it, it'll be like, oh, you're bending to pressure from Epic. But there is a way for Apple to actually uh, find a middle ground there that they could look good and uh, kind of, you know, make Epic and other developers happy. And that's to create tiers. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking exactly yeah. that scenario. So you could do, you know, and this actually, funny, if you do it one way, it would actually not make Epic happy. If Apple went and said, you know what, if you make less than, say, you know, a million dollars from the App Store, mm -hmm. you're at 10%. And, you know, Apple can calculate <laughs> that that's like, oh, that's like, Barely noticeable in their bottom line, right? <laughs> you know, and it, but if you're if you're from one million to five million, you're at twenty percent, and you're five million and above, you're at thirty percent. You know, and then Epic wouldn't have, it wouldn't save a penny, <laughs> right? The vast majority of developers would be like, hey, thanks, hey, thank Apple. you, <laughs> that's <laughs> Apple's so wonderful, and and then you know Apple wouldn't see any change to their bottom line. They could, of course, do the opposite with tears. Right. Say, you know, the, if you make over a certain amount, but I don't know how that makes sense. I mean, that would hurt their bottom line and the, make less of fewer developers happy. The only re the only technical reason that that could make sense is uh, the old economy of scale argument, right? If you're, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it costs more to sell one thing than it does, you know, it doesn't cost 10 times as much to sell 10 things as it does once to sell one. Uh, so there's scale involved there. And if you get to big enough scale like Epic and whoever else is at that scale, the actual operating costs for Apple uh, are probably less than they are for the small as a percentage than right. they probably are for the small publisher. But you're right. I mean, that's a, that is kind of sort of a PR nightmare-ish type thing. And you, as you, if you raise the rate as people get higher and higher, uh, it's actually a disincentive for some companies to actually try to approach the next tier, right? Right. Um, you could so. fake the tiers with a upfront fee. 
because right now, so right now there is a hundred dollar fee per year to be an Apple developer. Okay. And you have to be an Apple developer in order to be in the app store. Right. And the interesting thing is it actually, you could sign up for the developer program, not pay anything and get all the tools. Right. So, and Apple's been that way since the beginning of, of all this, they, it's really great because students could build whatever they want right. for free. Yeah. All the same tools that, you know, Epic has from Apple at least. And you can uh, build something. You could put a developer version on your phone, you know, have beta testers even, you know, in a way. Right. Um, and that's fantastic because um, you don't have to pay something up front before you even get to play with the tools or learn this, this stuff. Or if you want a job, you could, you know, work it with Xcode and Swift and everything all you want until you have the skills to get a job somewhere. It doesn't cost you anything. Then it's a hundred bucks and then a hundred bucks. Now you could put stuff in the app store and there's various other things that you could do as well for hundred bucks. Um, they could go and say, Hey, the hundred dollar level, that's a 30%. You know, we take 30% of whatever you make in the, you know, for the purchases. But if you wanted to go to the pro app store level and put that at like $10,000 per year, Right. Then we drop down to 18% or something. Right. And that saves face. They say, look, it's still 30% for everybody. And, you know, so for 99 bucks, you're still there in the app store. But if you're a big company, you can go to this other tier and you just pay us money up front. Now, that wouldn't help Apple's bottom line because the number of developers paying $10,000, there wouldn't even be an item you would see. It wouldn't right. move Apple's revenue a single tick. But, you know, it's a way for them if they if they did want to reduce that revenue amount. Uh, I mean, the percentage of, you know take from stuff and look good. I, I suppose that's a way to do it. I don't know. I, I like the op- I like the opposing tiers thing. I like letting the small developers keep more money, and then make and then Epic. It would be hard for Epic to to win that. And from a monopoly standpoint, right. it's like oh, so the big companies have trouble you know, have to pay more money to get into the app store, but the little ones don't. I mean, how is that, how does it even relate to the traditional monopoly? You know, thinking like coal monopolies, steel monopolies, railroad monopolies, you know, the old stuff. Um, I mean, if you let the, the little companies have a better deal than the big companies from, a, I don't know, that's a really interesting so thing. So do we know when, when these things are hitting the courts? Oh, it's going to take months and months. I mean, but yeah, we so even have is... court dates or trials or, or, and they'll probably get bumped up and appealed. And I mean, this could go on for years. It'll be interesting though, because in the interim, unless they're successful with some kind of an injunction, they're not in the app store. They just aren't. And yep. that's, you know, that may or may not impact them in any significant way. I mean, it's funny because it, it hurts both companies um, not being in the App Store. I mean, Epic, of course, loses revenue. There's no doubt about it. They're making right. less money not being in the App Store. Apple is also making less money because they're making not making the money from that from those sales. Right. And they're probably missing out on a few iPhone sales. A few people who are total addicts to Fortnite are, well, I don't know if, if Google's not going to let them back in. I don't know what I guess maybe Apple won't lose those sales after all. Well, it wouldn't surprise me if, um, again, in the hardcore Fortnite community, there's probably somebody out there that says, okay, get yourself a Pixel 4. Here's the APK. Here's how you sideload it. And you're good to go. Right. I mean, it's, I it's not that difficult to do on the, in the Android ecosystem, but Mm -hmm. yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. Yeah. So, so anyway, so there's that. 
So what you've been watching? Yeah, speaking of scores and, and <laughs> games and all that, uh, there's an interesting series on Netflix I got through. It's called High Score. It's just, uh, I think it was only six episodes. And it's basically a look at the history of video games. Um, documentary type thing? Yeah, documentary. It was interesting. I, I'm, I've read so many books on the history of computer games because you know I have my own little small part in that. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Tons of them. I mean, even books on specific games and everything like that. So I've heard the stories over and over and over again. I could probably teach a course at a college on the history of computer <laughs> gaming, uh, like off the top of my head <laughs> with all the stories. So watching this, of course, I'm seeing those same stories again. Right. You know, the story of Space War and Atari and Pong and, you know, Space Invaders and all that stuff. And uh, so this was interesting in three ways well one first way i'll say is it's not the best documentary series i've seen on history of games uh it was okay it was like okay. eh, you know <laughs> um but it was an interesting documentary in that you know the some of the ways they shot things instead of talking to so-and-so at his desk in his office um and and then interspersing that with little bits of like photos and you know uh, right. footage from the old days uh, they would take these people out of their offices and put them places like in front of roller coasters, you know, like the guy that did Sonic the Hedgehog and interview him in front of a roller coaster and how a roller coaster influenced, you know, the, the game and things like okay, that. Yep. So there was interesting visuals that they were using. Even uh, when they were talking about the uh, Nintendo helpline, they interviewed one of the guys who worked on the Nintendo helpline and they kind of recreated a virtual room that he walked through to make it look like, you know, this is what it looked like. And obviously he's not there. It's long gone, right. <laughs> you know, but they somehow recreated it. I think somewhat virtually, I don't think it was real, but, right. um, but, you know, they would do funny things like then put a wig on him to make him look like he looked in the pictures, you know, but now he's an <laughs> older guy, you know, that kind of deal. So there was some interesting documentary things that moved it along very quickly. The other interesting thing about it uh, was it told, some stories from the perspective of top players. And I've heard some of these before, particularly when it comes to things like Donkey Kong, you know, like the, you know, the competitions that they used to have Mm -hmm. in the early eighties through the nineties. They had a lot about that. Matter of fact, I'd say about a third of the whole series was dedicated to that. And that's probably why it's called high score. So they would talk about a game, but they'd also talk about like, there was this competition that Sony had or that Sega had. And, you know, they had all this footage from this competition and they would interview the person that won it today, you know, mm-hmm. recalling what it was like to be in this old competition for, you know, whether it was Space Invaders or, uh, you know, the, the Nintendo competition with Tetris and everything like that. And some of those stories I had never heard before. So there were some, it was like, here's our angle on the history of games. Sure, sure. <laughs> you know, no, we're no. going to talk about this. So there were some cool, there were some cool uh, bits in it uh, that I never heard because they took a different approach. Anyway, it's on Netflix. So if you have Netflix, it's a fun thing to watch. Just keep in mind that you're kind of watching a selected history of games. Some of the best stories aren't even mentioned, but, but some of them, <laughs> some the of people them they had access to probably. Yeah. Well, and I think they, they created an interesting script to go through Right. And say, look, if we had 40 episodes, we may, probably wouldn't be able to cover this. Right. We've got six. Let's, how, do we, how do we create an interesting story going from Space Invaders you know, through Sega 
um, and and you know not bore people to death. So, <laughs> so anyway, fascinating. It's on Netflix. It's free if you've got Netflix. So free if you've got Netflix. So, Netflix yeah. Which is, yeah. <laughs> Um, well, great. Mine's free if you've got HBO Max. So there. Yeah, there you go. Um, it's, it's interesting. Uh, we started uh, watching this a couple of weeks ago, caught up on the first few episodes. It's ongoing. It's, it's not the Netflix style where they dump all the episodes at once. It's actually being released one episode a week. Right. It's Raised by Wolves, and it's a post-apocalyptic sci-fi uh, series. Hmm. The premise is that, uh, you know, the earth, they have some flashbacks and the earth is, you know, at war and basically destroying itself and yada, yada. The, the usual stuff in, in these post-apocalyptic, you have to have an apocalypse to have a post-apocalyptic story. The, uh, the premise, though, is that the world sounds like the world has basically evolved or devolved into two factions, atheists and a religion. I don't even, I can't even think of the name, um, but you know, a religion. And it is uh, those two that are then competing for what happens next. What they've done is they've both set off, they've set um, uh, people or, in, or, or ships to uh, a far planet, a, a human uh, compatible, habitable planet, uh, Kepler 22b. I have no idea if it's a real planet or not. Hmm. And, but the difference is that the uh, atheists have no compunction at all about using uh, androids as their, uh, uh, you know, the people, people, so to speak, uh, you know, manning the ship. And their cargo is 12 embryos hmm. that on landing, they are tasked with uh, raising uh, and educating and so forth. Now, because they are androids and because they're shipping embryos, they are apparently capable of traveling significantly faster than the others. Now, the others have built what they're calling an arc, and they're using you know, what we would refer to as hibernation, stasis of some sort, uh, but they can't travel as fast. So they arrive at Kepler-22b something like two decades later. Mm. And um, to put it um, simply, hilarity ensues, and I don't mean hilarity. hilarity. I mean this is a this is a drama by by a, most definitely, but it actually raises a bunch of really interesting questions about um, and not not really religion, but more about uh, what it means to be an android, what it means to be an entity, what it means to be human, uh, and and you know what happens when you land on a strange planet without maybe without sufficient preparation and so forth. So it's an int we're, we're enjoying it. We're having a good time with it. Uh, we are, like I said, I think four or five episodes in. I think once again, it's like you said, it's a six episode thing. Uh, we seem to be, especially on these uh, 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 premium channels like Netflix and HBO and so forth, a lot of these special series are short. They're like six or eight episodes, and I think this falls into that bucket. Uh, but we're enjoying it. We're having a good time with it, and we're looking forward to the next episode. I believe it drops every – it's either Thursday or Sunday. I get them confused. But, uh, yeah. Uh, Check uh, it out. That raised raised right by Wolves on HBO Max. I actually – it reminds me of – there's a book I read recently uh, by Alistair Reynolds, uh, Elysium Fire is the name of the book. It's part of one of, one of his series. He's a, he's, a, he's a really good modern sci-fi mm -hmm. writer, and it's part of the background – 
uh, prehistory to the story was a colony uh, of humans that was, you know, embryos set mm -hmm. out mm -hmm. and then raised by um, large teddy bear-like creatures uh, that were android. <laughs> they, you know, they 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 try to make it, you know, look human but not too human. You know, right. the uncanny valley thing. So they these androids raised uh, these humans. Um, and that's part of the prehistory because that didn't go well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it didn't work, let's just say. Um, and it, later on, humans actually reached there by more normal, you know, uh, uh, ways um, without having all of that. Uh, but part of the ruins there are this experiment that happened that went awry. Fascinating. And part of the story is, you, you know, he tells a little bit about what happened hundreds of years ago when, right. when that right. That first colony uh, arrived. <laughs> so, and yeah. it sounds like some sim maybe some similar things. Some similar yeah. things. Yep. Yep. There are definitely things. some interesting subplots as well that aren't necessarily related to the the fundamental premise, but they're still keeping the story pretty interesting. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Good times. Uh, let's see. So, one of the things that I wanted to mention of my own, uh, well. I always, every so often I feel guilty about, we, we have this in our notes as our blatant self-promotion segment. And one of the things I remind myself of is that, uh, you know, we have no sponsors, right? We are mm. the sponsors. Yeah. Uh, so that means you have to listen to us talk about our own stuff too. The, uh, and to be fair, uh, we are also uh, sponsored in part by This Is True and uh, freeprintables.net. And anyway, uh, so I was out of town last week for a few days. We were visiting um, my sister-in-law, actually, which is you know north of here up in Bellingham. It's on like 40 acres of, of some actually really nice uh, pasture land. And I decided to film a video of myself just talking to the camera. Uh, and it actually turned out to be fairly interesting. It's one of those, uh, I, don't, I hesitate to call it a think piece. I'd call it more of a reflection piece. The title of the video is The Most Important Lesson I Learned at Mike, While at Microsoft. And it's one of those things where it's not necessarily what you think. Uh, it is very important. And on reflection, it makes a tremendous amount of sense. And it's you know, it took me half of my career at Microsoft to come to a specific realization. But I chat about that, and I, I share some of my thoughts about that issue. So it's a completely differently formatted video for me. Um, I'm really, really interested in whether people are interested in both the format and uh, the topic choice, and if they have suggestions for that, uh, for that kind of video in the future, to by all means leave them in the comments on that video. Right now it's on YouTube only. Um, everything I normally do has both an article and a video associated with it, but for now, um, this is simply a YouTube video that I've I put up. I actually did all the videoing and the editing um, and the uploading uh, from the uh, the Airstream trailer parked outside my sister-in-law's home. So um, it was an experiment in many, many different ways. I, I kind of enjoyed doing it, and I'm hoping that people enjoy the result. Cool. Well, I'm certainly going to check it out. Um, mine isn't uh, such a big deal as that. <laughs> but it is, I did hear from a viewer of my videos uh, who had a question about tracking stocks in numbers and was surprised when I told him how to do it. And he claimed that many, uh, many people who have Macs um, 
are simply under and do stock stuff. They're simply under the impression that you can't track stock histories in numbers. Um, so I did a video on how to do it because I don't know for some reason I guess the the functions for that are overlooked. So um, anyway, so if you're interested in tracking stocks and doing you know your own little calculations, trying to right. figure out like where stocks are going and stuff, I I show you how to like access the stock history information that's inside of numbers. Oh, cool. That, that does sound I cool. mean, stuff you, you can do it with Excel, too, and you can definitely do it with Google uh, You can Sheets. do it with Google. Yeah, Google Sheets is what I happen to use. There were some functions in Excel that at some point stopped working or went yeah. away or whatever, and it was really frustrating. So I stopped trying to do it in Excel, and now I just have a little bit of a, a Google Sheet that uh, gets me. Yeah, the, all the I, bottom all line. Yeah, the bottom line is Google Sheets, because Google has live data right. that they're already paying for, that's the only place I know where you can actually put a formula in and say, give me the current price right now Yes. for a stock, or at least you know 20 minutes delayed. Right. With Excel and Numbers, they both kind of lost the ability to do that, um, but they still have his historical stuff, which is, from what I understand, if you're into stocks, you're more interested in that anyway. You want to know, like, over the last 10 years various different stocks and how they behaved and, you know, come up with your own little, you know, uh, gamble to, you know, sure. outsmart the market based on that. So what's the definition of history? How soon does the information become? Yes, last, last close. So, That's you know, it's actually pre- not bad. That's yeah. Not bad or, I don't know if it's la- like, I don't know if like in the late afternoon or evening, if you have that, that day's close, right. I had never checked that, but you definitely have yesterday's closed. Right. And then any day going back through the history of the stock close, open, high, low. Hmm. And, and then I show how to like create some interesting looking stock charts with some chip, uh, with some like tricks that, you know, doesn't look like you can create those kinds of cool stock charts, but you can't by overlaying various types of charts on top of each other. Fancy. Stuff. So anyway, Cool. If for some reason, the whole um, you know when does when does history begin thing reminds me of a short story, a sci-fi short story I read <laughs> years and years and years ago, where somebody developed a uh, um, a machine that could uh, basically look back in time. Right? It could look back, and you could see you know Rome, and you could see the yep. Stonehenge being built, and all that yep. kind of stuff. And then somebody said, "But but but when does history begin?" You could look at your neighbor one tenth of a second ago and be inside of his house. Um, so all of a sudden, privacy went completely out the window uh, because of this device that had been de- designed to look back in time. Oh, interesting! Yeah, twist. It it's, sort of fits with that TV show we talked about uh, before. What was that called? Um, oh, it's a really good one. That was. Um, <laughs> it was one of the previous shows that we talked about. <laughs> Yes, there have been several. <laughs> but, but yeah. It's not coming okay. to mind. So. Cool. Well, cool. Well, I think that pretty much wraps us up for yeah. another episode. Uh, the show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh111. Do you have a comment or question for us? You know to hit us up on Facebook or Twitter at the TEH Podcast, or of course, leave a comment on the show notes page. We definitely pay attention to those as well. As always, thank you again for listening, and we will see you here again next week. Bye-bye.